podcast in the world to take you on a weekly deep dive in the classic matches along with legends of the squared circle enjoy the discussion enjoy the back and forth there's so much to get into ladies and gentlemen this is the payoff one God, I love a great Vince McMahon call, and Mabel would end up being the king of the ring. This is Tom Healy, and as always, I am joined by my co-host, Jeffrey Ryan. Jeff, at this point in time, our WWF kings of the ring were Bret Hart, Owen Hart, and Mabel. But first, Jeff, how the hell are you doing? One of these things is not like the other, my friend. <laughs> it's just been a good week for me. You know, not too stressful. Got a lot done and uh, all around doing pretty good. You know, King of the Ring, it's always been a cool concept and just different from anything we were seeing really at the time or even now. So no matter who won, at least it was cool to see it play out. So I'm excited to talk about this one today. You know, we always say it, but don't forget, subscribe, give us five stars, spread the word about the payoff. You know, it's the only way that one of the ways that we can be successful and we want to make sure we're out there. Of course, too, Tom and I always Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, social media. You can always find us at Payoff Pod. Always going to respond back when we can. Send us a message. We're out there. And then lastly, our Patreon, $10, one tier. It's payoffpatreon.com. We have our after show. We do a few bonus shows here and there. We let you pick a bonus episode as well, too. So again, 10 bucks, one tier, payoffpatreon.com. Tom, what else? Well, as always, thank you for listening. Now, Mabel winning the King of the Ring has a special place in my heart, Jeff. And let me tell you why. There was an in-your-house following this King of the Ring, and then it was SummerSlam 1995, which was my first pay-per-view back in Pittsburgh where I grew up. So I was excited to be headed into my first pay-per-view. I was glued to the TV all summer. What was going to happen? What were the big matches going to be? Obviously, I'm a huge HBK mark, so I was curious what he was going to be doing. And man, like it was something else to end up with Mabel being in the King of the Ring, or I'm sorry, winning the King of the Ring, then being in the SummerSlam main event. So I had all these high hopes for the main event of SummerSlam, and I got Diesel Mabel. And Jeff, 
It's not Steamboat Flair. We'll just leave it at that. But it was an interesting time for me. So for those of you that are new to the show, look, every week it's the same format. We do a deep dive into one match and the issues surrounding it. We don't talk about the current product. We work hard to bring you fresh, interesting, unique, fun information. And ultimately, we try to have a blast doing this. So thanks for listening, whether it's your first time or you're one of our loyal listeners around the globe. Jeff, quickly, as always, tell everyone the format for our weekly shows. Yeah, keeping it short and simple this week, everybody. You know, just a weekly deep dive and it's into a match every Monday. Keep it simple. The build, the payoff, the aftermath. We get right into all three parts before, during, after. And then after that, we have some doozies of some write-ups from some of the dirt sheets and experts at the time. And so those are going to be fun. And then also Tom and I, we always hear, uh, we might score a little high, at least for me, a little bit of a teaser. I can promise you that this is not going to be a high payoff score. So Tom, with that, you know, you shared a little bit, but how come you wanted to discuss Mabel winning the King of the Ring? Well, yeah, I was so stoked all summer because this was leading up to my first pay-per-view, SummerSlam 1995. So I just remember following everything very closely, scouring the, I guess, AOL in the early days of the internet for any information I could find. I got secondhand dirt sheets from my uncle the week after he got them. So he'd pass them on to me and I'd read those and just try to gather all kinds of information that summer leading up to it. So I guess what's interesting for me in this episode isn't just what happened, but what was going on behind the scenes and what maybe should have happened. So one thing you're going to hear from me a lot today is some things that I thought maybe could have been booked differently or better. So still to this day, I think people kind of laugh at and clown on Mabel being the king of the ring and how did that happen? So it's going to be fun to do a deep dive through it. So Jeff, as you know, some weeks we cover five-star classics. Oh my God, it was the greatest match in the history of the business and I'll never forget it. Some weeks we do stuff that's a little bit off the beaten path and people remember, but it's more infamous than famous. And I think that's the category this falls in. So I'm excited to do a deep dive into this. What happened? Maybe what should have happened? How was it received at the time? What else was going on in the business? So I'm stoked for this one. Jeff, why did you want to do this match? Yeah, I love me some tournaments. I'm all about that. And so both men and women, we definitely need more of them. I think these just really, uh, and how it's you know played out, these multi-week, multi-story events, they're actually really cool. And they, and they give us new matchups that we haven't seen before. They give us new angles because of those matchups. And that's how, you know, something different. That's, you know, so many times what we look for. And so I can really say that's what I want. I want to see different superstars getting pushed and then new potential champs or even, you know, new contenders, whatever it might be. And even if we end up forgetting the King of the Ring winner quickly, I still like the fact that we get the King of the Ring just because, you know, it may not seem like a huge deal. It's still enjoyable for us to watch. And this one, it did have some stakes to it. So a little bit of a bonus with that as well, too. And so I'm just excited, not necessarily this match itself, because not a five star, but there was still some stakes to it, and I enjoy talking about the King of the Ring. So, with that being said, let's get to the build. Oh, it's time for the build. Well, Jeff, I never knew you were such a tournament guy and a non-gender biased one at that. So I am all about a tournament. Make it intergender. I'm all for it. Loves his tournaments. All right, so let's talk the build. As always, we like to set the stage for you. 
King of the Ring, 1995. It's going down on June 25th, 1995. We're in the Spectrum in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And in the shadows of this building is the ECW Arena. So, man, Jeff, (laughs) when we go through this card and what ultimately took place, let me just say this. It took some balls for Vince McMahon's WWF to go into ECW territory in 1995 and put on this show. (laughs) We had 16,590 in attendance, so product was hot, building was full. Just some things from this card. The main event, and man, this was a doozy. Diesel and Bam Bam Bigelow, okay, those are your good guys, against the heel team of Tatanka and Psycho Sid. So Diesel would end up pinning Tatanka for them to win the match. Also on this undercard, outside of the King of the Ring tournament, we had Bret Hart versus Jerry Lawler in a Kiss My Foot match. That was actually a really strong feud that I enjoyed. Jerry Lawler on the microphone as a heel against Bret Hart. I'll take that all the time. Another footnote from this card, man, as soon as I knew we were talking about this show, I immediately thought of this. There was a 15-minute time limit draw between comma, who was accompanied by Ted DiBiase, and the one and only heartbreak kid, Shawn Michaels. You have to understand, this is not long after WrestleMania 11. So Shawn Michaels loses to Diesel, main event, WrestleMania 11, great match, one of the best in Kevin Nash's career. But what happened? The fans love Shawn Michaels because he was just such a great worker. He was so good in the ring. They had no choice. They had to turn him face. Vince didn't see a good guy in him, but some other folks such as uh, Bruce Pritchard and Pat Patterson talk him into the fact that Sean's a face. Sean's a good guy. So at this point, Sean is white hot. He is over getting major, major ovations, but then they do this BS time limit draw. And I understand they wanted to get Mabel over as the big heel, but man, was it deflating because he had so much momentum. So that always stuck out to me. Another interesting thing about this undercard, Jeff Mabel beats The Undertaker. Now, The Undertaker really doesn't take pinfalls very often. According to Meltzer, to the best of his recollection, this match in 95 with Mabel beating Undertaker clean via pinfall was the first pinfall loss The Undertaker had taken since Hulk Hogan in 1991, and that was outside interference. And the Tuesday in Texas, two days or three days, whatever it was after that event, within a week, Hogan gets the title back. So crazy, right? Which I just can't believe, and I'm sure I'll talk about this later, how did they not make a bigger deal about this? He hadn't lost clean via pin in four years. So just wild stuff. Also on this card, just a fun match was uh, Savio Bega, who was accompanied by Razor Ramon, defeating the roadie, who was accompanied by Jeff Jarrett. So the better workers were the managers in that match. Kind of interesting there. Overall, and I know you'll get into this, it's just regarded as one of the worst pay-per-views in company history. It's one thing when, hey, you know what? We don't have much talent. We're down and out right now. There's some injuries, whatever. And you have a bad wrestling show. It happens, right? But Jeff, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, The Undertaker, 
they're all on this card. They just weren't used properly. And you had Jeff Jarrett, who was a manager. You had Razor Ramon, who was basically a manager. I just can't believe how much talent they had. They just shuffled it all around in the wrong direction and really just an awful arrangement of the card. So elsewhere in the business, I talked about it. Shawn Michaels is over. He's about to become the IC champion the following month. That match, which I really want us to cover, that Jeff Jarrett losing the Intercontinental title to Shawn Michaels, one of the best intercontinental matches of all time. Probably the best match in Jeff Jarrett's career, unless you got something better for me, but I probably have never seen it. Fun Ultimate Warrior is getting ready to open up a wrestling school at this point. Meltzer would say, let's see here, the quote was he was uh, done and had his final falling out with WWF management from the fall of 1992. Well, guess what? He was on WrestleMania like nine months after this. So it was not the final falling out, but he was currently out. He had worked a uh, overseas tour making 162 grand for two weeks. I'll tell you what, our uh, friends across the ocean love them some wrestling. <laughs> Guys get paid when they go over there. Another interesting thing, the Monday Night Wars are about to begin just a few months after this. So September 5th, Nitro kicks off, a time where WWF's kind of struggling a little bit. They look vulnerable. You got Hulk Hogan and WCW. They're doing some interesting things. And the Monday Night Wars were starting. So it wasn't the best time for heightened competition. Shane Douglas is on his way out of ECW into the WWF. He debuted not long after this as Dean Douglas, which was a terrible gimmick and a waste of his great talents. Also debuting soon was Dr. Isaac Yankum, the evil dentist that Jerry Lawler brought in, who of course was Glenn Jacobs, who not sure what happened to him. Oh yeah, became Kane and now he's a mayor. So the other thing in the news, Jeff, this is sad for me. This was the end of our mythical... President Jack Tunney, who actually had resigned from the WWF in real life in his real shoot job with the company, but then also no longer the president in storylines. I thought that was like the perfect authority figure where someone was calling the shots and there was a president, but Jack Tunney wasn't getting in the ring and taking bumps and being a big heel. So thought that was really cool as well. Now, with that being said, each week you do the build, you walk us through what's going on from a storyline standpoint. So what do you got for us this week, Jeff? Yeah, I'll start with the King of the Ring event itself. This was a tournament bracket style where competitors took place in single elimination matches. The first King of the Ring was in 1993. Bret Hart beat Bam Bam Bigelow to win. The following year in 94, Owen Hart beat Razor Ramon to win. Reza Ramon. Yes. And so King of the Ring, it was actually uh, used to be considered now, you know, we have our monthly shows, but it was considered one of the quote, big five, if you will. And so there was SummerSlam, Royal Rumble, Survivor Series, WrestleMania, and then King of the Ring. Today, you know, there's just no such thing. Even as a King of the Ring pay-per-view, we have Clash of Champions, or there's always a few that kind of rotate in and out. We're, we're used to that at this point. But at the time, this was how the card was. Now, in 1995, the quarterfinals, the semifinals, and the finals were all on the actual pay-per-view. Uh, we've seen it other times where different matches have played out different ways, but in this year, they had those different rounds on there. So I'm going to go through some of the competitors, actually all of the competitors, just so you kind of know who was on the roster and who was involved in this time. So we we'll start off with we had Adam Baum, Mabel, our eventual winner, Jeff Jarrett, Kama, Duke Droz, King Kong Bundy, Shawn Michaels, Bob Holly, 
Mantar, which I believe is now our second Mantar sighting on the payoff. And so we have to slip that in every week because that's always good stuff. The Roadie, Doink the Clown, Lex Luger, Yokozuna, Razor Ramon, and Jacob Blue, who were the initial competitors that were participating. Now, Shawn Michaels was the favorite, as Tom has already gotten into a little bit. But spoiler, that didn't work out for him. So a few other notes on the tournament that Tom has already covered a little bit. You may already know that Savio Vega didn't say his name, but obviously very involved in the finals. Savio, he was not in the tournament, but Razor had to pull out because of an injury. And so Savio got placed in the tournament by beating IRS, one of my favorites, Erwin R. Scheister, to get in. And so that is how he got his spot in the tournament after it had already started. And so we always talk a lot on the show, too, that stakes are always good. Some continuity is always good. So giving this one some stakes, the winner of the King of the Ring would actually take on Diesel at SummerSlam, who was the champ at the time, a couple months after this one. So a lot of good stuff with King of the Ring. You know, we won't get into every single match individually, you know, because we want to get right into the finals because that's where the good stuff was. And this is one of those where if you really want to put yourself through it, that you could always go back and watch some of these. But Tom, any other kind of final thoughts as we kind of move on from the build here? Yeah, I got two quick ones for you. So you talked about the brackets. It's just, I got this pulled up. I'm looking at it right now. It's just crazy to think, okay, I'm going to give you a tournament. Okay. And I don't even care what year it is, but this is 1990. I'm going to give you a tournament. We've got the likes of Jeff Jarrett, Hall of Famer, The Undertaker, future Hall of Famer, Comma, Godfather, Hall of Famer, right? King Kong Bundy, legend. Uh, I believe he's a Hall of Famer. Shawn Michaels. I don't know if King Kong Bundy is or not, but he will be someday, if not, uh, untimely passing. So Shawn Michaels, we've got Bob Hawley, Jesse James, Yoko Zuna, Lex Luger, Razor Ramon. Okay. I, I mean, I just rattled off eight Hall of Famers, right? What are your semifinals? Well, we got Mabel against nobody. That was a buy because of the time limit draw. And then we got the roadie against Savio Vega. <laughs> Just crazy to think about all these Hall of Famers and none of them made it to the end. That's kind of fun. The other thing too, Jeff, that you didn't mention was the King of the Rings actually been around previous to it becoming a big pot five pay-per-view. So 85, you had Don Morocco win it. 86, Harley Race. 87, Randy Savage. 88, Ted DiBiase. 89, Tito Santana. 1991, Bret Hart. So a couple of those I knew about, a couple of those I didn't. So really interesting. And then the pay-per-view started 93 and it's given us some great moments. You know, Bret Hart winning that first pay-per-view. Owen Hart becoming the king of hearts, which I thought was awesome. Steve Austin, Austin 316's born. Just some really, really fun ones. Kurt Angle, Brock Lesnar, Booker T did a great job with it. William Regal. I mean, there's been some fun ones. So it's been a fun tournament over the years and just fun to take a look at that. So with that being said, this week we're joined by an awesome guest. It's Oscar from Men on a Mission, who was the manager of Men on the Mission when Mabel and Mo were a tag team. If you don't know much about them, go back and look at some of their stuff. They were 
cool. They were cutting edge, really good fan receptions. They were really over. It was a babyface tag team that for whatever reason, they wanted to turn heel way before they should have, which led to Oscar leaving the company. So Oscar shares some really interesting stuff about Mabel, just how big he was in person, what it was like to travel with him. He was an awesome guest and it was a real pleasure watching this with him and talking about their tag team, talking about Mabel and talking about Oscar's career as well, because he has a wild story of his own, both as a wrestling performer as well as outside of that. So if you want to watch the match, it's King of the Ring 1995. This match starts at one hour and 52 minutes on the dot. So when we come back from break and you hear the ding, 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 if you want to watch the match with us, 152, King of the Ring 1995. If not, enjoy the interview and we appreciate it. So with that being said, it's time for the payoff. Oh, it's time for the payoff. All right, it's the finals of the 1995 King of the Ring. Your, at this point, former colleague, Mabel, is in the ring looking to win the King of the Ring. So, Nelson Frazier, tell us a little bit about him. Any fun memories? Just kind of curious what your relationship was with Mabel. Well, my relationship with Mabel was, first off, People come up to me and they always tell me how sweet he was, a gentle giant. And basically, that's what he was. He wasn't the heel character that you saw when he turned heel. He wasn't mean and he was not a bully because of his size, even though he was taken like that. Mabel almost got us fired. Oh, you got to tell us that story. Mabel almost got us fired because a lot of the boys were intimidated by him by his size, and he wasn't looking to make friends. He didn't speak to people. He was mean-mugging people, looking at people with an intimidating way. And the boys were complaining to Vince about it. And so Vince said, the boys are starting to have problems with y'all. The best thing I think we for to do was send y'all home for a while, let everybody cool down, which <laughs> we really meant. I'm going to send y'all home, and I think that might be the end of that. Wow. But what I did was, and this is how I single-handedly saved all our jobs, that day, there was going to be a meeting. And this was funny because we never really had a meeting. We would have a meeting every once in a while. And I suggested at the meeting, let us address the boys and let them know that we're not assholes. And just let them know that, you know, our plans are to lighten up and just move forward. And that's how our jobs got saved in Poughkeepsie, New York. Now, I'm looking at this king. Now, I will tell you this. When I left, I had no bad feelings or hard feelings. But I am looking at this king of the ring match. And this is one of the things that I am sorry that I missed out on because all right, I left. We had the tag team belts for a weekend, and now he's getting king of the ring. All right. Oh, <laughs> right. uh, So the good stuff is happening now. Was it difficult for him to travel and get around? I mean, you said 6'9", 500 pounds. I can't even imagine. You know, he fit into cars <laughs> a lot comfortably than you would imagine that he did. Now, the rental cars that we had to get, and we had to get rental cars – because what they do is they fly you from point A to point B. And then there's the other five, six, seven cities that you got. You had to rent a car and get around. 
Yeah, he fit pretty, not even snugly. You get a Cadillac, and he fit in the front seat of a Cadillac pretty good. Now, on the plane, what wound up happening, this this took about a year. He had to go to Vince and say, Vince, I need to fly first class. Because he would take up a whole row. Who's going to sit next to that? Yeah. When he would try to fly a coach, he used to come off the plane and be like, man, it was like we was like criminals going to prison. <laughs> we, we was all scrunched up. <laughs> trying to fly economy. And no, that didn't work out. So eventually they started flying a first class. So he flew a lot better. He didn't take up a lot of room on the tour bus whenever we were in, in Europe. So he traveled surprisingly comfortable. Did uh, the three of you rent a car together and drive around? We rented a car together and drove around together. There was a period of about four months where we fell out. I fell out with them for some reason, and then I started taking a Greyhound or riding with other people on Amtrak. While you were still teaming together. While we were we, we team yeah, together, like everything was all right. And then when I left those two assholes and went my separate ways, <laughs> we eventually cleared it all up. But yeah, I spent some months not riding with them. Yeah, well, three's tough, man. You know, you two are ganging up on one or whatever, and it's always a tough dynamic. I, I remember J.J. Dillon telling us that we were supposed to share a room and share the expenses. I like on the heels of my ass, we sharing a room. Yeah. At least look how big they are. Yeah. And they wanted to stay at Motel 6. How was that going to work? So for his size, you think he moved around pretty good? Let me tell you something. The first match I saw with them, because I'd never seen them wrestle before. Okay. Until we got there. And they were a tag team before. They were a tag yeah. team before they were in the USWA. Lawler and Jerry Jarrett's promotion. The first time I saw them wrestle and do double moves together and the way they moved around and his agility, I was astounded. I was like, oh, my God, ching, ching. I got money here. Were you ever concerned about his health? No, because he never saw unhealthy. I never saw him get sick a day when a day I've known him. Oh, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait. Thank you for reminding me. Okay, this is what happened. Because this opened up a big can of worms. We were in Israel. He was dehydrated and he passed out. Oh, boy. He fell out. Where'd he fall? Just tumbled down? He tumbled down on the floor. Holy hell. This opened a chain of events. He passed out so he couldn't work that night. Okay. Shawn Michaels got mad about it, which it didn't take much for Shawn Michaels to get mad. And Shawn Michaels and Moe got into an argument. They were almost about to get into a fight. Subsequently, after that, Moe got sent home for a year after that, to make a long story short. Wow. So, I mean, what was the deal? Like, if you pissed off the click, you were in trouble back then, right? Pretty much, yeah, because the click ran things. It seems like it from all the stories you hear. Were they involved in Mabel maybe not getting the push that he had? Because, I mean, he wins the King of the Ring. He wrestles a few months later in the main event of SummerSlam 95. And then after that, I mean, nothing really happens. But see, the thing is, what you got to understand is I wasn't there. Yeah, yeah. So I couldn't tell you. Yeah. Did you stay in touch with them after yeah. you left? Yeah, I did. How did you hear about Mabel passing away? I got a call. I had just talked to him a couple of days mm. earlier than that. And we yep, we were supposed to do a show together in Fort Wayne, Indiana. That was the plan. I saw on Facebook, I got some Facebook messages. People were saying, sorry for your loss. You know, this, that, and that. And I'm like, my loss? 
Well, I don't know. My mother died of, of three, four years ago. What loss? And my brother found out before I did. And then I called Mo and Mo told me what happened. And believe you me, that was one of my toughest nights because Mo had kidney trouble, right? Mm-hmm. And I had ancillary heart problems and things like that. I would have thought that he would have been the last of us to die. So when he died, that was like my biggest shock. I, I still can't believe he's gone. Mm. So what's keeping you busy these days? It's keeping me busy. I mean, I'm, I'm looking out for my health, number one. Good. I enjoy doing these autograph signings and these conventions and just just living life, being positive. I am deeply involved in my church and in ministry and helping kids and young people and going around and speaking to young people about Great. bullying and reinforcing about positive ways of thinking and doing things. So that is my passion. That's fantastic. Are you on social media at all? Is there anything that you're posting or people can get a hold of you? Yeah, you can use my real name, Greg Gerard, G-A-R-A-R-D, and you can find me on Facebook. We could be friends. <laughs> Are you watching any current wrestling these days? Do you I, stay in touch with I, any of the product? I do watch the current product. What do you watch? I watch Raw. I do watch SmackDown. Tonight, I'm really going to see my first AEW match because I haven't really gotten into them. Okay. But I'm going to get into them now and see. I want. I really want to make a comparison. Yeah. Whenever wrestling comes to Chicago, I don't miss a match because... My wife doesn't let me. I got to get tickets because she's a big fan. Yeah. So I got to get tickets every time they come or to a SmackDown or to a SummerSlam when it's someplace. Yeah, she loves it. Anyone that you see wrestle now that you think is great or you have your eyes on that you think is maybe the next big star that's oh, not I currently getting the push? Rollins, as long as he can keep his head on straight. He's on the fast track to becoming something great. I think that his shield partner, Roman Reigns, has got a real potential to be a real good personality. I think if John Cena can devote his time to strictly wrestling, I think he's got a lot of gas in his tank. Is he a good rapper? No. (laughs) And he know it. Okay. <laughs> I don't think he is either, but you're the expert, not me. All right. So King Mabel here, he's getting crowned king. Were you watching it this time? Were you following the product or were you sick of it? You know, no, I had to see this. Okay. And when Mo is getting ready to- uh, Coronate him. Uh, you're to coronate him. Knight him or whatever the hell and, he's doing and, there. Okay. And, and <laughs> say this speech. Yeah. I believe that speech is still going on today. We just don't know it. That was the <laughs> longest piece of crap. That I've ever seen in my life. Did you like this pair? I mean, did you like them being heels, first of all? Well, I thought they were good heels. My problem was with the whole thing is the heel turn happened at the wrong time. The steam of them being baby faces, and we had not reached the pinnacle of everything we could have been before they did this. They did it way too soon. But you did think they did a good job. You just thought the timing of it was off. No, I thought they were excellent heels. Yeah. And one of the things was, but they always, they had a passion to be heels. They wanted to be heels more than baby faces. But the baby face gimmick was over and it did not run its course. So that's my problem with it. How do you want to be remembered by fans? 
That's a good question. I've never been asked that. I just want to be remembered as a guy that gave his all to entertain them. Every time we came out and we left and they had their hands in the air and they screamed and yelled and all that, I want to be remembered as that hype man that gave everybody an excellent time every time they saw me. Well, see, here's a question. Do you think in today's product that managers would add some value to it? I mean, you were a little untraditional in terms of being a a quote unquote manager, Mm -hmm. but do you think that the mouthpiece, the manager, the whatever that role may be, do you think that that would add to the business? Positively, because the reason why they got managers in the first place is you had a lot of wrestlers that didn't really have education back in the day or mm-hmm. years ago, and they couldn't talk for themselves. Yeah. Now, a lot of them now are a lot more educated, and they have a lot of in-ring savvy and good and, and good in-ring skills, but they still can't talk for themselves. Nope. You know, when you put Leo Rush with Bobby Lashley, that answers my question. Leo Rush was great on the mic, and he could disseminate Whatever it was that needed to be said, a whole lot better than Bobby Lashley. So you got a lot of them that can perform in the ring, like Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar is like an Arnold Schwarzenegger. He can say five good words and that's it. That's why he got Paul Heyman. Yep. So a lot of them, yeah, a lot, the role of the male manager need to come back because a lot of them basically need it. And with the females, oh my God. They don't, re- I don't know if they rehearse these chicks or what. It's not that a lot of them are not smart. They just don't concentrate on their character. Yeah, I've had trouble figuring out if it's too rehearsed or it's not rehearsed enough or they're just trying to remember their lines. But some of that backstage stuff, it's just normal people would never correspond that way. It doesn't make sense. And see, that's the reason why people like Jim Cornette was so great. Oh, yeah. Jim Cornette would get out there and he would say what needs to be said. Jim Cornette would have me rolling. Jim Cornette taught me how to do the five o'clock hotel checkout. So, <laughs> hey, Growing up, you mentioned you liked Dusty Rhodes. Was there anyone else that you really enjoyed? Any matches or moments that stuck out to you? I watched a lot of down south wrestling with the New York wrestling when I was coming up because we would go down south. We would have wrestling come on for an hour <laughs> or midnights in New York. Wrestling stayed on for five hours on Saturday in Georgia. You wow. had Georgia wrestling. You had Florida wrestling. You had Mid-Atlantic. You had this one. You had that one. And those are where my favorite favorites came from. You had guys like Argentina Apollo. And you had your Ric Flair. And you had your Dusty Rhodes. And you had your Mad Superstar. And you had one of my very favorites, Mr. Wrestling Number 2. I mean, now these guys were the complete opposite of what I just said. Most of these guys, not only could they wrestle in the ring, but they had mics at. Mm -hmm. Like Ric Flair, Ric Flair was bar none one of the most talented wrestlers ever to come down the pike. But Rick Rick Flair can cut a promo out of his ass. Well, and it's crazy. I mean, I think one of the most impressive things about Flair is that you go and you watch those and they're still great now, but he must have been like 20 years ahead of his time. I mean, the things he's saying and the gimmick, I mean, that stuff, it must have been so incredible back then. I they, can't imagine. The, okay, when it comes down to Ric Flair, 
Ric Flair had three things. He had the four horsemen with him, Arn Anderson, Tully Blanchett, and his brother, uh, Ole Anderson. And they had J.J. Dillon, who was one of the most intelligent promo cutters and intelligent individuals, you know, when it comes down to brain smarts that I've ever encountered. So he had a triple threat going on, which would make his career skyrocket. But that was the whole thing. They just had a lot more talent in that regard. And you do not see that kind of wrestling today. There Mm -hmm. is a profound difference between the wrestling of 20, 30 years ago and the talent that's in here now. They don't have monsters too much now or big guys or diversity. You know, everybody's just good looking and it's just a big fashion show for three hours. And me personally, because I'm one of the old guard and because I remember wrestling from back then, that's not really what I want to see. I want to see everybody look good. Well, there they ain't nobody bleeding. I mean, I mean, yeah. you know, come on. Oh yeah, no, but I mean, that's that's the problem. I think is that guys look a lot similar now. Right, they all come up through the same training, so they're all taught the same way to work, and that the styles. That was one of the beautiful things about the stuff that you watched growing up is that there were so many. I mean, they're big guys, small guys, different backgrounds, different. They talk differently. They look different. Right now, it's yeah, they're just all like different versions of the same and person. You, it's a smart thing, and I didn't think about this. You mentioned the training. Everybody is trained the same place, and they come out the same way. Back then. Everybody's training was different. You had the Calgary guys, the Florida guys, right, the, the Puerto Rico guys, right, guys yes, whatever. Yeah, right. Japan. Everybody, everybody yeah. was trained different. Everybody didn't come from developmental and go through NXT. So basically, when they do things, they're doing things alike. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this was great. It was fun to watch this match, and I appreciate you being on the payoff. I appreciate having me. I love. We could talk about this stuff all night. We could. All Thanks. Right, Thank you. <laughs> It's time for the aftermath. So, as always, I have to thank Oscar for joining us. Men on a Mission, you know, might be a a team that you haven't heard from in a while or even thought of in a while, but super nice, extremely positive guy. You know, it's hard to overlook that, that uh, the whole time I could think kind of listening and even when we were doing the interview, just the power of positivity. And that's what he's all about. And so thanks again to Oscar for joining us. Just really fantastic to have him here. So Tom, what'd you think about the payoff? Jeff, you know what I really liked about Oscar during that? What'd you got, man? He just came across like he was a man on a mission. Boy, you do that every time and every time. I every wish show. People, I wish people could see my reaction. Like, <laughs> we're going to record it one of these times for Twitter because I'm going to hurt myself rolling my eyes so hard. Don't get them caught in the back of your head. Yeah. Hey, so seriously, Oscar was awesome. Super nice guy. Really didn't know much about him before we sat down with him. So learned a lot. As we went through it, you probably heard some of my like, wow, that's cool. You know, and he sees a really cool story. I can't wait for him to write a book because I think it's going to be awesome. He has like awesome experiences in the music industry, the wrestling business, radio industry. Like he's just had an awesome career, super nice guy. And so it was so awesome to catch up with him and have him here on the payoff. And I just love when we meet some of these people, Jeff, and they just surprise us because they're just so awesome and they have so many cool things to share. And Oscar was great. So he was fantastic. As far as the match, what did I say? It wasn't Steamboat Flair. You saw it. (laughs) 
It was not Steamboat Flair, but it got over the heel. You know, the fans obviously were not happy about it. So it did what it needed to, I suppose. But that's it. So, Jeff, what were your thoughts on the payoff? Yeah, I'll say this. <laughs> this one was really actually booked into a corner and the results just really prove what we would expect. And that was terrible. And so we've all seen the clips, you know, we've heard it before. This just really goes down as one of the worst ever. The crowd, I say they weren't into it, but they were into it by not being into it and expressing their feelings that way, especially in the home of ECW, the ECW chant. And so hard to overlook that, you know, Mabel is just, as I would joke, like he is a big boy. Six, nine, 560. And that's a total shoot. He's a couple of me. And so that is an, an even more of you. So, you know, <laughs> he is a big boy. And so, you know, WWF wanted to give us the coronation of Mabel. And that is exactly what we got, especially after the winners from the previous two years of Owen or Bret Hart and Owen Hart. This was just something. So, Tom, <laughs> thoughts before the aftermath? You know, I'll talk more about this, but I just felt like if you wanted to get Mabel over, one of two things, right? If you are dead set on using Savio Vega, then just have him squash him. Just have him beat the shit out of him, get a quick win, really get him over as that monster heel, okay? If you're trying to get the best match, then maybe a different opponent that he could have thrown around the ring. So again, I I don't have a problem with the outcome. It's more of how you got there that I guess frustrated me as I went back and watched that. So with that being said, Jeff, let's get started with the aftermath. Yeah, Mabel really proving Vince loves a big man. You know, he was given just a, a pretty big push actually, which culminated in a match with Mabel versus Diesel. The one and only Kevin Nash that was at SummerSlam of that year for the WWF Championship. The outcome of that was Mabel lost. He would actually continue to feud with Diesel. He actually picked up a couple other feuds that were still playing out from the King of the Ring tournament. Had some more matches with The Undertaker. Had a couple of matches with Yokozuna. And so eventually he actually ended up allying himself with as that he continued to battle with Diesel. And so did have a little bit more of a career, which we might talk about on a future episode, but kind of did get that push. It kind of was put out there a little bit, whether fans wanted it or not, that's what we got. And so Tom, I know you've got some other thoughts. Yeah, man, just rough. I mean, I know Vince McMahon likes his big boys and all, but my goodness, you know, you had some great workers in the company and you just had these guys plodding around. Well, I'll save most of my thoughts for the payoff score. Just a little fun fact to give you here. PWI 500 1995, Diesel's number one, Mabel's number 49. So Diesel was the star this year. And I I think that when you look at this booking, everything was designed around how do we get Diesel over? How do we make him our big star? How do we feed him these big, nasty heels? And if we don't have big, nasty heels, we have to create big, nasty heels, which is why everything went into getting Mabel over at this show. Again, I understand why they did it. I just wonder how it might have been able to be done better where we may have avoided some of these long matches, but still got him over as a heel. So Jeff, how was this match received in the newsletters? What were the write-ups? What were the reviews? And I 
feel like I'm asking a question I already know the answer to. This was, as I alluded to a little bit, these ones, I'm going to try and read these with a straight face. I'm going to try not to laugh during some of these, but some of these are pretty good to say the least. And so I'll start with the Observer Newsletter, as I always say, our star giver. I'm going to cut right to the chase here. I give it three quarters of a star. And so uh, we're starting right out of the gate big. The write-up said, it was decided several months ago that for this year, at least, the King of the Ring would be used as a tool to bring someone to the next level rather than further establish a new top star. Last year's winners, Owen Hart, who used the victory to propel himself beyond what had become an overly played out feud with his brother, Brett. The year before, Brett won as a way to further establish him as the new franchise babyface at a time when the WWF was still somewhat insecure, not having Hogan to rely on. This year, Many argue Shawn Michaels should have received the push that Brett received two years ago. He should have won in order to give himself more credibility when he eventually battles it out with good friend Diesel or whatever heel eventually defeats Diesel for the title. Interesting take there. I, whether or not we agree, we'll get there in a minute. But the PW Torch, and this one's a fun, they, they just kind of sum it up in some different ways here. And so I, I will read and I, I saved a little bit of it for time here. It's so how bad was it? Bad enough that when it ended 11 minutes early, nobody complained. Bad enough that when the fans were chanting the promotion's name during the bad matches, the problems there were too many bad matches and the name they were chanting was the wrong promotion. Bad enough that the most entertaining part of the show was the color commentator doing a fake Spanish language translation of a Spanish language interview segment. Bad enough that somebody putting it together actually thought watching someone throw up on camera at dinner time on the West Coast was family entertainment. And quick sidebar, if you watch some of the backstage segments during this, that was happening. So enjoy your dinner. Hope you haven't eaten yet. And then lastly, bad enough that numerous callers claimed it was the worst pay-per-view show that they had ever seen. It wasn't just a negative response, but a vehement negative response. I wouldn't go so far as to say it was the worst ever or even the worst in a long time, but it was one really bad show. Lastly, and oddly enough, people have taken the time. We always try and throw in the Grapple score here. It's an app that Tom and I kind of check out, and it's free for everyone to use. Grapple, this match, if you can believe it or not, is rated three ratings one star. And so for the three of you that decided that you wanted to rank this match, thank you. And Tom and I are not two of the three. So appreciate everyone that put it out there. So Tom, I'll keep it short and sweet. I agree with all of this. (laughs) There's no other way to put it. I can't add any more to this shit pile. (laughs) It's just that bad. Tom, what what do you think of these write-ups, man? The write-ups are right. You know, I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole of fantasy booking, but I just feel like I've explained to you who else was around, the Bret Hart's of the world and the Undertaker's of the world and the Jeff Jarrett's and the Shawn Michaels and the Razor Ramones. You had the talent. How the hell they end up with Diesel Mabel as your main event? I just don't get it. Gosh, 
turn razor heel, you know, do a baby face, baby face of diesel and taker or diesel and razor. I mean, my goodness, there's a million things you could have done with this group of talents that would have been more interesting than what they did. So I just don't get it. Also, if you're going to have Mabel win and you want to get him over as the monster heel, how do you end up with him and The Undertaker in the semifinals? Have him pin The Undertaker, which I guess according to Meltzer was the first pinfall The Undertaker had taken in four years. Why not make that your finals? Why not have it come down to Undertaker and Mabel and you know Undertaker's going to win and then boom, short match, maybe even a squash, Mabel wins. That's surprising. That's interesting. So the brackets, guess what, folks at home? It's a fucking work, okay? Like, you know, they pick whatever brackets they want. So why not do something more interesting? So that I didn't understand. I guess you could have, again, used the talents you had. And if you were dead set on Mabel being the monster heel and winning, why not have them do it against someone like The Undertaker or Razor Ramon in the finals and really get this guy over as a monster heel? Same deal. Like, why Shawn Michaels in it if you're just going to have him go to a 15-minute time limit draw with Kamala? Shango Godfather, right? Why not just not have him in the tournament? Or why not have him and Jeff Jarrett in the Intercontinental title match at this pay-per-view as opposed to the next month? So a lot of stuff I just didn't understand here. Ultimately, as I've said, this gets the new villain, Mabel, established. He goes on to SummerSlam 1995, the main event. Meltzer gave that star. Again, I was at that show. Brutal finish to the show. He gave that match a half star. It was just real bad. And it just ends with like a diesel clothesline off the top rope because obviously couldn't give him the jackknife. The one saving thing about SummerSlam 1995 was we got that great rematch of Sean and Razor in the ladder match. But again, to my point, that was kind of thrown together at the last minute. That wasn't the initial plan, but then they had to pivot because of a few different things, which I'm sure we'll get into in a future episode. So with that being said, Jeff, I know we covered a lot there. Let's talk payoff score. What do you have for us? Yeah, Tom. And so for all of our listeners, uh, we just want to make it clear that uh, we do a payoff score every single week. We usually rank one through 10 and we look at everything, the build, the aftermath, the crowd, the commentary, the we'll say in-ring product this week, you know, just uh, whatever we feel. In reality, so you know, pull the curtain back a little bit for everyone. Tom and I usually kind of jot down some notes on this one for whatever match we're talking about. We always hide our scores. We don't ever put our scores in here. But for this one, Tom and I did not write, I won't even say we wrote a lot of notes. We didn't write any notes because there's just not a ton of in-depth stuff we needed to get into on this one because not a whole lot happening. And so I will start with my score. And for everyone that says that we only give out high scores, I'm going to give this one a 1.5. And so I will give it a 1 because it existed in the timeline of the WWFE universe. And I will give it just a half a point because, like I said, I like the King of the Ring tournament style. I have nothing good to say about the outcome of who won. I agree with Tom that there should have been somebody else to win this one. 
if you kind of go look, you can see, you know, there were some kind of rumors out there about 123 Kid or, you know, Xbox, as we now know, kind of uh, doing a little bit as well, too. But, you know, so it would have been interesting to see how that could have played out. And you could dream book this till we can't talk about it anymore. But I'm going to stick solid to just a 1.5. Sorry to anyone that was involved in this one, but I just, uh, it, it exists. That's about all I can say. So, Tom, are you going to go higher, lower? What do you got, man? Well, yeah, you know, as, as, as you're talking about that and you're running out some different scenarios, I mean, the one that goes to my mind is why not do, you're thinking about like uh, Savage, WrestleMania 4, winning that tournament, having those great matches, just becoming a megastar that night. To me, it's like, why wouldn't you have used this opportunity to do that same thing with Shawn Michaels? Have him go out there, work like two or three killer matches all in the same night, have him have a great match with a Jeff Jarrett or a Jesse James or or shit, I mean, The Undertaker, right? A Razor Ramon. I mean, can you imagine the finish of this if the last match is Shawn Michaels beating Razor Ramon or Undertaker to be King of the Ring? I mean, he would have just been a major star even quicker. But again, it doesn't matter. That's just fantasy booking. But I think it does play into our payoff score because what Jeff and I are both saying is, was this the right guy given the talent you had, given the build, given the aftermath? We both agree it wasn't, obviously. I'm sure Nelson Frazier was a hell of a nice guy, but the booking of it, yeah, probably not. So my payoff score is a two. So slightly higher than Jeff to the guy on Twitter that said we only give out 9.7s. No, we don't. We cover all kinds of matches. This one, again, I'm giving it a two. I, I get the intent. Let's get this guy over as a heel. I just think how you could have done it would have just been for him to squash guys, right? Not everything has to be a 10, 12, 15 minute match. Him and Taker went what? 10 or 15 minutes. The main events, 10 minutes. Like why not just have this guy pound guys into the ground, win these squashes, maybe attack them after the match, right? Him and King Mo, just have them just destroy people and get this guy booed out of the damn building in Philadelphia. And I actually think it would have been better. So again, my two isn't just because of the booking, but it's because I think there was a way better way for you to line these guys up. I think you should have used Taker in a better situation since he'd never lost at this time. And then ultimately, yeah, Jeff and I, we talk about this. The payoff score is about the build. It's about the match. It's about the aftermath. The aftermath of this one was we had a terrible main event at SummerSlam 95. And then from there, we just didn't really get much more from this guy. And he was out of the company not long after that. So if you really wanted to get this guy over as a monster heel, there should have been more there or pick a different guy that you're actually going to run with and can work matches. So again, I'm with a two here. Overall, good heel heat, not good execution, didn't use the right guys. That's all I got for you, Jeff. Let's head to the finish on this one, please. Yeah, this one overall, like we said, we may not cover uh, you know five-star, ten-star matches every week, but we want to tell a story here. And this was definitely a story that needed to be told. And when we discussed the payoff, that there was definitely a payoff here. <laughs> it just wasn't a great one. And so that doesn't mean that it isn't a story that's worthy to be told because in essence, again, as we, as we We've said before, you know, this was in 1995, and at this point, we're almost 25 years later, and Tom and I sit here together discussing this match, and so there's something to be said for that, too. So, of course, we just want to thank Oscar for being here, just 
Outside of the match, he was great. Like I said it already once, we can't help but think about the power of positivity. And that that is just what he is all about. And, and, you know, we can't thank him enough. It's really what it boils down to. So as always, I like to end the show just by reminding everyone, as I do at the start, subscribe, give us five stars, spread the word about the payoff. We're always on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at PayoffPod. Support our Patreons, just that one tier, $10, all kinds of good stuff, though. And so I like to kick at the Tom occasionally for the closing here. And so you can't see it. I have now placed the King of the Ring crown on Tom's head, admitting my defeat that Tom should speak the closing for us. So Tom, as our King of the Ring champion, will you please send our fans home happy? Yes. As always, we appreciate you listening, subscribing giving us five stars, liking, retweeting, sharing. It means the world to us. It allows us to keep doing what we're doing. So we appreciate the support and we appreciate you joining us on The Payoff. Payoff.